Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes our favorite properties and reboots them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them, and once again, welcome back to the start of a new year. Yep. New year, new us, same old story. <laughs> yeah, same old, new, old stories. <laughs> yeah. Tales as old as time. Yep. Songs as old as rhyme. No, we already did this shit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's evergreen use, okay? This this is very true. Um, except we did already kill the beast back in season three. But he was also the dark one. Yes, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're back on our old bullshit. Yep. The as annual anniversary uh re restart re let me try that again. Our annual anniversary rebooting of Once Upon a Time, season by season. <laughs> we'll get to seven seasons, goddammit. <laughs> this year may be featuring Once Upon a Time Wonderland? Well, I was planning on Camelot, but like we could also do the whole spinoff. That's, yeah, that's what I was saying, that Camelot would be the main show, and then Wonderland would be the spinoff. Yes. Because when I re-listened to our season four reboot from a year ago last night... I had said that I wanted to lay the seeds of the spinoff and have Alice there and potentially the Jabberwocky. Okay. Yeah, because I have come out with a vague outline for what to do. I was hoping that like we could like bounce, off, like do a lot more bouncing off ideas off of each other than just me leading the way. Yes. So, but let's 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 set the stage first. Okay. So that we know what's going on. When we last left, um, uh, let's see, Jocelyn Gale, who is the granddaughter of Dorothy, who runs the Gale Corporation, which is trying to uh, either weaponize or destroy magic, depending on who you ask. It's it's evil fairy tale shield. Basically, <laughs> it's a, let's say it's fairy tale aim. Yes. Uh, so yeah, she is trying to do bad things with magic, and she just opened. She had just attempted to open open a permanent gateway between the enchanted forest and the land without magic using a highly magical tree. The ratings were off the charts, and it turns out the reason for that was because that's the tree that they put Merlin inside. Yes. Um, and other major characters. I think the only characters were introduced, and they weren't that major. I just floated the idea of uh, Ivan, who's all of the Ivans from all the Russian fairy tales. Uh, is queer, and his queer bestie is his wolf, who can travel faster than the speed of sound, who is also now uh, Ruby's girlfriend. Yes. So, yay. We got that. So, the big thing, the big plot threads that we got going are, so back in season three, we killed Rumple. Yes. And the Dark One powers went somewhere. Yes. Oh, and then we also killed the Blue Fairy and stabbed her wand. Yeah. So a lot of the magic from the Enchanted Forest was draining. So do we want to say that over the course of Season 4 they were able to reestablish magic? Yes. They got they got the true magic back from the Primordials. Yeah. And they've somewhat established a connection between Storybrooke and the Enchanted Forest with like the forest area surrounding Storybrooke as like the world between worlds that like Narnia has. Yeah. Uh, we had Merlin show up in the finale, and I think we were going to lead into the author powers. Yes. It would, like, the, the first hint was that Harry, or not Harry, Henry 
figured out that like the their best bet was to try and get Merlin out of the tree or something like there was something that he could do with the tree to stop Jocelyn's plans and that ended up being freeing Merlin. So this season would be Camelot, Author, Dark One, and do we want to do Underworld as well? Um because we had Regina die and come back from the dead. Yeah, that's true. Um maybe in a bit like maybe it's one of those things that we start laying the foundations for in the second half of the season and then uh season uh six would be more focused on that okay because like we had a really stuffed fourth season and i'm thinking maybe have a less stuffed fifth season that's true. Well, I see, I think, re-listening, we did talk a lot about how stuff season four was, but I feel like a lot of the stuff we mentioned, those arcs wouldn't last very long. Like, there'd be two episodes, maybe three, if there was there were a lot involved. Yeah. And just, it was, a, it was a, a symptom of the fact that we were really following three groups, because we'd follow one group of our heroes, the second group of our heroes, and the villains occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. I th- because I am splitting up the cast again, but, like, you'd have more stuff in Storybook proper. Where I was thinking, Regina's no longer the mayor, Snow becomes the mayor, because remember, like, in season four for a hot second, Snow was mayor? Yeah. Well, I don't think she- did she ever, like, give that title back to Regina? Yeah, she did. Okay. That's silly. Let her be yeah. mayor. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm like, okay, so, Regina's no longer mayor, Snow is mayor, we give some job to Charming and a couple other people, and maybe the conflict there is like, hey- this seems like a monarchy again, and we've kind of gotten used to democracy and all that, so maybe... Yeah. Like, they trust Snow, but on the other hand... I feel like Snow would want to install Charming as the sheriff. Yeah. I oh, think... wait, no, that wouldn't, that wouldn't work, because Emma's the sheriff. Yeah, but maybe Emma's not here for... Not in Storybrooke for that season. Oh, okay, that makes sense. She is stuck in Camelot. Yeah, with Henry. Like, mm-hmm. I would say her, Henry, Hook, and they're doing Camelot stuff. Yeah. So let's say Charming is Sheriff and that's where the problems start because it's like, oh, that seems a lot like when Regina had the Huntsman as her Sheriff and he was also her side piece. Mm-hmm. So we got a bit of a problem there. But there's also the problem with the Gale Corporation and I think like we can cut back to them and them building their plans because the first attempt to take over Starbuck didn't succeed. Now they're going to do basically what what happened in WandaVision. Oh? In that, like, they're going to try, or something along the lines of, like, WandaVision or, like, Stranger Things, where they go to the government and it's like, hey, we got, like, this weird anomalous situation. We need money. We need people. Okay. And we're going to, like, surround the town and monitor it because, like, these people don't really leave. So, okay. In, in that situation... What is to stop everyone from just uh, um, evacuating to another world through the forest? Or are they blocked off from the forest as well? Maybe the problem is... What would actually be the problem with them not being able to evacuate? Maybe with with Merlin being free, like there's some sort of hitch with the connection. Or maybe in order to free Merlin, like they were able to send Storybrooke back to our world <sighs> oh i have an idea okay and conveniently it can play into other disney stuff okay 
Uh, just going off the basis that the trees are can be used as portals to other worlds if they're significantly infused with magic, we could say that like when Storybrooke was sent back, like all those like connections to other worlds just kind of got tangled in the woods. Oh, okay. And so it isn't necessarily that you, if you go to the woods and just think really hard that you'll end up in Wonderland or Oz or wherever, it's you have to find specifically the tree that leads to the specific world you're heading to. Yeah. You can't just run full force at a tree or you're just going to knock yourself out. Yes. And and maybe the trees will have certain markings, like maybe some of them will have doorknobs shaped like objects from yeah. the world. Maybe <laughs> one of those doorknobs is shaped like a Christmas tree. <laughs> what is this? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> it w- actually it would be fun if uh, Jack comes back for like one one Halloween episode and then he comes back again for the Christmas special. Yes. <laughs> and he's a puppet. Yes. I uh, mm. Disney is inevitably going to try and do a live action remake of Nightmare Before Christmas. I kind of want to see it regardless of whether it's good or bad. Okay. That's... At th- at that point it's just spectacle. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so yeah basically storybook people are going about their day and it's permanently sunny quote-unquote Maine it's actually Vancouver (laughs) (laughs) and then with the Gale Corporation the sets would probably be like the Gale Corporation headquarters and Jocelyn I don't know at some uh, senate subcommittee or some drab brutalist office Another thing we could do is, so every season something happens and hijacks the curse around the town, basically. Yeah. Like, uh, if you cross the boundary line, then in the first season it was just misfortune. In the second season, you lose your memory of your fantasy character. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anything happened in the third season. And then in the fourth season, there was just an ice wall there. And then the fifth season, if you cross it, you turn into a tree. Yeah. So we could say that this for this season... What happens is that, like, the Gale Corporation tries to, I don't know, like, they, like, they pull up their military-grade anti-magic laser beam, <laughs> and they try and blast the city, and that hits the boundary line, so basically it's just a force field around the city, m- yeah. much like the Hex, um, except, like, someone could, like, walk up to either side of the boundary line and still talk to one another, but you physically cannot pass through at all. Yeah. So, it, like, it essentially becomes a war of attrition of how long can we keep Storybrooke shut down. Cause like the is the is the curse supplying like food and stuff for them like because that was something that never was solved and it's yeah. possible that like it was beneath notice and maybe now that they're officially cut off there's no suspension of disbelief I guess there's no clap your hands if you believe that can make the food stars restock and so they are gonna like start worrying about food so they have to start finding trees that can go to other worlds so that they can bring food back to Storybrook. Yeah, like I think maybe they have enough land under the curse where they could grow a whole bunch of stuff, but it's not going to be enough to sustain everybody for a long period of time. Yeah, I mean they they did have enough land to start a crop of magic beans, so they can easily just start a crop of normal people beans. Yeah, amongst other fruits and vegetables and legumes. I imagine someone has a cow somewhere and probably I don't know, they're a uh, storybook persona was that they had like a organic artisanal farm or something. <laughs> it's milky white. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we wanted to do was Camelot. Yes. So I'm actually going to pull from actual lore about Camelot instead of whatever the fuck we got. God, that was terrible. 
I I kind of liked the setup for it in the show. It's just they never followed through. It's I think that was the curse of the later seasons of like after season three is that there was a lot of setup, a lot of interesting stuff and barely ever payoff. Because in the sh- in the show, what they said was that Camelot was a broken kingdom, but Arthur found the Sands of Avalon that could trick people into thinking something broken was whole again. And so he used that on Camelot, and he also used that on his and Guinevere's relationship. And what I was thinking is that when Henry, Emma, and Hook get to Camelot through various magical means, and because, like, author powers and all that, um, the problem is that this is, like, post Guinevere Lancelot, and we're dealing with a bit of a Fisher King situation. Yeah. Yeah. So... This is a case where, like, the ending, like, La Morte d'Arthur played out differently. So, let's say, what is the final battle that's fought between Arthur and Mordred? So, already the Battle of Camelon has happened. Uh, this is, like, after Lancelot and Guinevere's relationship was discovered. And basically, Camelot is kind of in a Fisher King situation where... Arthur is still alive, but it's not up to its former glory. It's a very sad place. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to heal the kingdom once more. And this is where... So in the season where they had Camelot, they also had the Holy Grail, and the Holy Grail meant fucking nothing. Well, the Holy Grail was like a gift from the gods. Like it was magic given to people. And then they turned the Holy Grail into Excalibur. <sighs> Like, it was still very much MacGuffin, but yeah. I get why they did it. For me, it's a lot of, oh, why did you do that? Oh, why did you do that? So I was thinking, like, maybe part of Henry, Emma, and Hook's storyline is they're basically doing for Camelot what Galahad's story was of finding the grail to restore the kingdom. Okay. And maybe like that's their plot ticket back home and to get Storybrooke free from its curse once and for all. So let's say that they actually team up with Galahad then. Yeah. Because he's um, also Lancelot's son because he was created to be like, yeah, this is better Lancelot. <laughs> so so Galahad's like the baby of the knights, right? Yes. Would you say he's around Henry's age? Why not? <laughs> Are you, you got the shipping goggles on? I have decided. (laughs) (laughs) I've decided that Once Upon a Time could be gayer. Yeah, it really could have. Okay, so it's Emma and Hook and Henry and Galahad go on the Grail quest. Mm -hmm. Who are they meeting along the way for just the the one shot filler episodes? (laughs) (laughs) Um, how about Morgan Le Fay? And she's a lot more chill. Oh, okay. Because I, I had an idea for Morgan. Okay, what's your idea for Morgan? Well, first I have to tell you my idea for Mordred. Okay, your idea for Mordred. So, so, okay, first off, in your idea of this Fisher King situation, who is leading Camelot? I would say, like, in my head, I have Arthur survived the Battle of Camelot. And okay. this is his Avalon, let's say. Here's, here's my idea. Okay. That's not Arthur. Oh. That's Mordred. Oh, Okay. And so the my thinking was that the first half of the season during the Grail quest, like the who, if we get some other Storybrook people to stay at the Camelot Castle, yeah, the they will find out that Arthur is just Mordred in disguise, and we can bring back the Sands of Avalon. If we want to tie it into other mythological stuff, we could say that like those sands were created from the Lotus de- leaders' lotuses. Yeah, we could do that, 
And then, I don't know, maybe we could tie in some other stuff on Celtic mythology. Like, the Grail is tied to this cauldron. There's the Spear of Law. There's a sword. And there's the stone. Right. Was yeah. it, was the stone like an anvil, kind of? Uh, it was like a big rock. Because that stone is linked to the Stone of Schoon that's used for the British um, coronation ceremony. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big rock. Can't wait to tell my all of my friends. They've never seen a rock this big. Yeah, they they stuff it into like the specially built shelf in the throne of Saint Edward. <laughs> <laughs> what a powerful grip! Like some guy just co- goes up to the throne and is like, "Your Majesty, I found this cool rock. If you hold it, you'll be a best king." <laughs> I think you're supposed to like step on it because there's like a divot in it that's like foot shaped. Okay. Yeah. Let's look up the Stone of Skoon. <laughs> there's also, there is a weapon that was like, it couldn't be forged on foot uh, during holy hours or and like w- with fire. And so like, there's a whole story about the guy who made it had to like do a whole bunch of specific things. Like he did it during mass and he used a cold iron and he stood in a bucket of water while he did it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... The Stone of Skoon is also known as the Stone of Destiny, and it's kind of linked to, uh, it's also known as the Coronation Stone. It's an oblong block of red sandstone that has been used for centuries in the coronation of the monarchs of Scotland. It is also known as Jacob's Pillow Stone and the Tannis Stone and the very Scottish name that I won't be pronouncing. Um, it's now currently up in Scotland after it was stolen in return. Well, stolen by the English, then re-stolen in 1950 by a bunch of Scottish students. And it it was decided, yeah, we're just going to keep the stone up in Scotland until the next time we need it for a coronation. Yeah. Uh, it's also connected to the Blarney Stone and the Leah Fail. So that's one of the four treasures of Ireland that I was thinking of. Um, okay. What if one of those treasures ended up in Wonderland? Ooh, yes. As like for safekeeping, like if you, okay, how about, mm, okay. So Mordred's plan can be that he's trying to resurrect Morgan Le Fay and Morgan Le Fay would be the big bad for the second half of the season. Okay. Or like b- big bad in terms of like story purposes. Yes. But then like when it comes out that had, she was like horribly treated by Merlin, it kind of becomes like a gray versus gray morality. Mm-hmm. Of like you, you've both done good things. You've both done bad things. But the path you're on right now is mutually assured destruction with yes. a lot of casualties. Yes. So I found the four treasures. So okay. they are the Leofail, the Spear of Law, the Sword of Light, um, and the Cauldron of Dagda. Okay. So let's say that the Sword of Light is also the Vorpal Sword. Yes. And it was sent to Wonderland because if you reunite the treasures. You can, like, that's another way to resurrect someone. Mm-hmm. And so Mordred is seeking them so he can resurrect his mom. Yeah, that's there. The cauldron, we could probably swap out the Holy Grail for that. Yeah. The spear and the stone, we might as well keep the same. Yeah, we just put them in different locations. If we made the spear into, like, the Spear of Destiny or something, that's getting a little too... <laughs> Indiana Jones. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, the, sp- the spear... Okay, so during the Camelot half, they also went up to um, Merida's kingdom. So yeah. maybe, like... We can still do that. Yeah, Fantasy Scotland with 
we have to do some sort of shout out to all of the Scottish Highland romances. (laughs) (laughs) Just hot redheaded giant men in kilts. (laughs) (laughs) This is a family show. We got to do some fan service for the moms. Okay. (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) If we do a flashback with her dad. Yeah. How her mom and her dad met. Oh, yeah! Oh, actually, we could even... We can have it be more than just fan service. We could be like, they fought alongside Uther. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we do that in... uh, Let's say, as a shout-out to the Stone of Schoon, that's where the Stone of Destiny is. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then the spear. Where would the spear be? Hmm. Maybe in Camelot? Or... If we want to map on some, like, actual English history. So let's say that, like, in this fantasy map, the kingdoms roughly look like the British Isles, let's Mm -hmm. say. So Camelot would mostly be, like, the Celtics uh, west and southwest of England. So the east and the north is more, like, Germanic Viking. And maybe... I don't know, some sort of equivalent of Beowulf or um, Hengus and Horsa or Churditch um, have the spear. Okay. Because Arthur's entire thing was, I I am fighting the Saxons and the entire reason why we are in this situation is because Vortigan invited the Saxons and the Jutes and the Angles to come and invade and take over the land because he thought he could control them and use them as mercenaries. It didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Again, Vortigern warns everything. <laughs> Alright, so you've talked about what people are kind of doing in Storybrooke. Um, for the for the Wonderland side of things, mm-hmm. I think it can actually follow pretty closely to the original Wonderland story. Um, like yeah. maybe we can reference the, in the last season we can reference the Jabberwock and mm-hmm. but not actually introduce it until the actual Wonderland spinoff, and so it can play out the same way it did in the show, where it's like this powerful fear being that they like gets released by Jafar, and then Alice has to re-imprison it. We'll still keep the other ties about how, like, Will Scarlet is also the Knave of Hearts and how uh, Anastasia is also one of Cinderella's stepsisters. Yeah. Cora was there in the flashback. Um, and then, like, it can, their season can end. If we only do 13 episodes for Wonderland, like, they could end just as the Vorpal Sword is being brought back to the uh, to Cam- Enchanted Forest. And then so- someone, like, maybe one of Mordred's agents, whoever that ends up being, um, can get the sword and then take it back to him and he uses it to resummon um more uh, Morgana. Yeah. And that doesn't even necessarily have to be a mid-season thing. That could be like two thirds of the way through. The mid-season yeah. could just be the discovery that Mordred is has been masquerading as Arthur. Yes. Okay. So we got that. Do we reintroduce the Dark One powers? Mm-hmm. Let's see. Depend what do we want the source of the Dark One powers to be? <sighs> Because as far as I remember from Once Upon a Time Lord, Dark the Dark Lord power the Dark One powers seem to be like the embodiment of they they term it as evil, but I almost feel like it's more like chaos. You know, we we could say that the Dark One powers are like 
the the legacy of Morgana. And so maybe, because you said that the Dark One powers end up in Camelot in a previous season, and then we just leave them there. Yeah. Could be that actually Mordred's whole scheme was kickstarted when he discovered the Dark One powers and is like, I can use these and the four treasures to resurrect Mom. Yeah. Also, remember the one OC that I introduced in the fourth or, or in the fifth season to teach Emma about her childhood. This is true the fifth loves. season. Yeah. Yeah. So, Wilhelm, because I'm setting him up to be Rothbart from. Right. Yes. yes. You introduced him in the fourth season last yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Fourth season. Okay. Okay. So I was thinking, like, uh, maybe Mordred has either claimed the Dark One powers or he's trying to get the Dark One powers to help boost, like, resurrecting Mom. Mm -hmm. So maybe part of the finale or near the finale is Wilhelm decides I'm going to take on the Dark One powers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because he can, so then we can throw him in with, uh, Captain Swan and company. Yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking, love triangle! Oh no. <laughs> Even though I said I don't... My stance on love triangles is that sometimes it can work. I think if there was a love triangle between Emma and Hook, it would have to be from, like, Hook being concerned about Emma's growing power, but not communicating it well, and so Emma, like, calls a break on their relationship because he's not understanding... Like, how the magic is kind of integral to her, but yeah. Wilhelm is willing to understand and help her develop that. Yes. And so it becomes a case of, well, Hook doesn't support me, Wilhelm does. Yeah. And, like, eventually, Emma will be, or Hook will apologize, Emma will realize that he, he means it, and that she truly loves him anyways. And Wilhelm will like, I totally understand, and I will back off and look respectfully, except I won't. <laughs> because he's a fuck boy! <laughs> <laughs> Another thing we could do, actually, this is another thing that could play through the, the whole series. So remember like five minutes ago when I said Mordred like, ha could have an agent? Yeah. What if that agent was like this mysterious female assassin who's like, in addition to seemingly following his orders, seems to be targeting people who have like been resurrected? Yeah. And it turns out that, oh, she's not actually working for Mordred as all. Their uh, allegiance just happened to line up. She's actually, this is Megara and she's working for Hades. <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> and and this will be a combination of uh, Megara, Hercules' love interest, and Megara the Fury. Yes. Um. So how are we going to go about our Hades? Because the Hades that we got in the show was uh, awful. Yeah, because they they wanted him to be like the, the movie Hades, but also have a redemption arc because the writers were addicted to redemption arcs. <laughs> and it's like, no, the... Uh, Dude like that doesn't get a redemption arc, but also, like, we could play around with how we represent Hades, because, like, like as much as I do like sleazeball Hades from the Hercules movie, mythological Hades is not like that. Yes. So my, my idea of how to kind of rectify those is actually goes back to the remake of Clash of the Titans. Okay. Where they implied that the reason Hades was, like, being a villain in that movie was because humanity had grown to fear him because mm -hmm. of association with death. And so this could be another one of those situations where Hades, like, part of it is he's trying to balance death's books and trying to keep people who were supposed to be dead in the underworld. Yeah. But also could be that he is sick of people villainizing him. Like, we could even have him, like, sitting in the underworld watching, the like, all of his various depictions and be like, 
oh, humanity hates me. They think I'm an asshole. Well, fine, then I'll be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's a bureaucrat. It doesn't take much to turn them into assholes. And then another thing I was thinking, though, is Hades' origin story, the reason why he's in charge of the underworld, is he was originally going to be, like, have Zeus's position. Yeah. And then he tried to gamble for more, and then he ended up losing everything to his brothers Zeus and Poseidon. Well, also, uh, archaeology indicates that during the Mycenaean and the Minoan period, the Chthonic deities had more importance than the celestial deities. And Zeus is a celestial deity. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you watch Overly Sarcastic Productions, Bread did a um, did an episode about Hades and Persephone and pointed out how Hades seems relatively new. Like, he split off from Poseidon. Yeah. But that still indicates, like, Poseidon was the chief god and his Chthonic aspects were heavily emphasized. So maybe it's a case of not only did Zeus usurp uh, Olympus from uh, Cronus, he also usurped his older brothers. Yeah. So I'm thinking that potentially, I mean, this is something that I feel like would be better for the next season. Yeah. We're just Uh, setting the groundwork. Yeah. But I think maybe his game plan is try and shake things up so that he has another chance at gambling his way into the chief god position yeah and at this point is because we haven't talked about his character so i don't know whether that would be a good thing or not um but i think for now like all we should do about hades like maybe not don't even show him but like Mm -hmm. near the end reveal that this mysterious assassin who has been working for mordred is megara and that like she will say maybe they find a way to banish her back from when she came, and then they realize that she came from the Underworld, and she's like, you guys better uh, hold on to your butts, because Hades is not very happy about how many times you keep on trying to come back to life. Yeah. Or, I don't know, she's like, Black Widow sort of situation. Oh, so is she getting a redemption art next series and when she meets Hercules? (laughs) Do you want to give her a redemption arc? Uh, maybe. She's got a lot of red on her ledger. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to to be fair, uh, Megara does kind of, not necessarily a redemption arc, but she is a defrosting ice queen in the Hades video game. Yeah. She 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 is a potential love interest for Zagreus, um, who, and then it can, if you romance both of them hard enough, then she will enter a polycule with Zag and Thanatos. Cool. Also, like, before this, my idea for Hades was that he was just an exasperated bureaucrat who was just like, you're making my job so much harder, and my brothers are a pain in the ass. (laughs) (laughs) My sister keeps sending all of my brother's mistresses down here. It's getting a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) Also, since this seems to be mainly looking at England... Would it be possible to look at other non fairy tale English stuff and possibly set the uh, stage for? I hate that it was called the World of Untold Stories because, yeah, because they these were are told, told stories. stories. But maybe establish some of the like the other like time locked England and time locked European places. Yeah, like the more mo- uh, modernish. I guess we could do steampunk. Yeah, but like maybe have that as like. Some places that uh, the storybook characters have to navigate in order to reach Camelot and help with the final battle. Yeah. Um, oh, 
maybe either the spear or the rock are in Storybrooke. Yeah. Like, they were carried over as, like, one of Regina's trophies or something from when she was a villain. Yeah. So, because I'm thinking, I'm definitely thinking that uh, Greg and Tamara could end up in the permanently Victorian London. Yeah. And Greg ends up meeting the darlings again. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, I was also thinking of part of Hook's backstory is, uh, let's say he and his older brother Liam were abandoned as kids. They join the Navy. They become. They eventually become merchant sailors. What if, for a period of time, they were being taken care of by Long John Silver? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then, I don't know, at some point, maybe next season, maybe in the seventh season, Hook meets up with Jim Hawkins and Long John because we don't know what happened to Long John Silver after the yeah. end of Treasure Island. And Long John's got like a cool steampunk arm. Yeah. <laughs> or steampunk leg. That was the thing he lost. Well, or- he had both in, in Treasure Planet. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. In Treasure Planet. <laughs> Because I love the idea of like <laughs> Hook and Jim and <laughs> and uh, Silver are like arguing about stuff, and Jim's like, "You know him? You know him?" <laughs> Spider-Man pointing. Because <laughs> they're both like dad, <laughs> not literal, not literal father, but like father figure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Has Robin Hood shown up yet? Uh, I killed off Robin Hood in the backstory, uh, made Marion took over the role of leader of the Merrymen, and they have a daughter named Diana, who's- Okay. Does that mean they Marion is Regina's love interest now? Why not? Or does Regina get a love interest? Oh, what if? Okay, so obviously they gotta find Arthur, right? Yeah. Because we could just say that instead of, because if Mordred is pretending to be the real Arthur, then the real Arthur is actually like- in suspended animation, you know, because Britain's Hour of Need and all that stuff. Yeah. So maybe King Arthur can end up being Regina's love interest. Ooh. Because he's over Guinevere and all that. And I remember long ago we were coming up with stuff. And I think it was you who suggested, why not Guinevere be like a celestial maiden? Like Princess Kaguya. Oh. I don't know why I would have suggested that, but that's fascinating. Um, I was about to say that one of Gwen- uh, Maid Marian is married as love interest. Yes. Okay, we do that. Um, why is Guinevere not here? Why is she? Because she's with dead? Lancelot. Yeah, she and Lancelot because... are in hiding. Well, I remember in season two they did a backstory. Part of the backstory, or one of the flashbacks, was that Cora uh, had killed Lancelot. To but then in season five, it turned out that nah, he wasn't dead. Okay. But then it was implied that Arthur killed him off screen. Yeah. Huge waste. Huge waste. Huge waste. Um, okay, we do the fake out with Lancelot. We revealed that he's been alive all the time and he can have his reconciliation with Galahad. And then the Guinevere situation, maybe they got together or maybe not. It's just like everything terrible happened and Gwen went away somewhere. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, oh, we fucked up so hard and everybody's dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still like the idea of her being a celestial maiden and she's just like Chang'e herself out out of the situation. Yeah. We could also do parallels with Chang'e and her husband Yi, the bowman. Yeah. And Princess Kaguya and her love interest. And that's why Guinevere's not here. So I think the only thing we haven't touched on for what needs to be uh, addressed this season would be the author powers. Yes. 
So the author powers were kind of weird. They had a weird space. Um, how should they work? Because the author powers could easily become a very abusable uh, set of powers. If we go like full on, they can rewrite stuff. So I don't know. Maybe one of the powers is like they can travel to different worlds easily. They can just mm -hmm. like hop into a book, basically. Their job is to record things like a bard. Yeah, and so that's the thing is that the the author powers have the ability to change reality, but like you're not supposed to. You're just supposed to record what has already happened. Yes. And then you intervene when like huge swaths of reality are threatened. Yes. And even then it's you you have to play by the rules of the story essentially. Like Yeah. He Henry will find that he can't just write and then Emma survived and won and everything was great. Like, no, he has to he has to f reach out with his sixth sense and, like, figure out what pieces need to, like, what kind of plot needs to develop in order for the happy ending to be achieved. Yes. Like, he he'll, he'll discover that one of the laws he has to enforce, quote-unquote, is that happy endings aren't made, they're earned. Yeah. Or they're not given. They're they're earned or they're made. Yeah, they're earned or they're made. Um, maybe when he's learning under Merlin, they also meet, I don't know, some sort of like fate goddesses like the Norns or the Morai. And they yeah. can help explain some of the some of the author powers because they might be, let's say, in this universe, the original authors. Well, I was I've always said that the original author should be Shahrazade. Yes. Because we had thoughts of a spinoff of Once Upon a Time in Agrabah. Yes. Um, but it would make sense that the any of those fates would understand... It would make sense for it to be the Moroi if we're sneaking the Greek in there. Yeah. Um, and they can, like, they didn't originate the author powers, but they understand the author powers. And they're like, yeah. well, there is no actual such thing as fate. It's just seeing what has happened and predicting what should happen and where those paths lead. Yeah. But they can those paths can be nudged. Yes. And that's what the true purpose of the author is, is to nudge things so that they go a bit smoothly. Because if you just start like hammering at it, then you have the potential to break things. Yes. So in a way, Henry becomes the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. <laughs> a, little a little bit. bit. Oh, and... Another thing we forgot to do, we forgot to actually resolve the Gale Corporation situation. Yes. So I think that they should have some sort of magical thing that's feeling like their stuff as they're trying to break into Storybrooke. Maybe they have the Jabberwocky? Or... Mm, I don't know if that would make sense. Yeah. Also, the Jabberwocky, like, her whole shtick was that she had to be imprisoned on the sword... Yeah. Okay. Okay. No. So then. Uh, okay. Well, let's see. For to resolve that. Okay. So this. Megara gets to Wonderland, unleashes the Jabberwocky. She's basically a big bad diumvirate with uh, with Jafar for a majority of the season, and yeah. then after uh, Morgana is resurrected, they get the sword back to Wonderland and re-imprison the Jabberwocky. Um, even if it's too late to stop Morgana's resurrection. Uh, but then the Wonderlands can come back and. <clears throat> but I do like your idea of something magical fueling. They're, maybe they have the rock. Okay, yeah. So then the swords in Wonderland, 
the Grail was already in Camelot. The Rock is in the world without magic. Yeah. But because it's like a powerful cosmic keystone, it still has magic in itself. Yeah. And then the Spear is in Merida's kingdom. Yes. Once Mordred is able to get the Rock... And he he can maybe because he is like the the spawn of Morgana, he can bypass that force field and just walk up and take it once he knows where it is. Yeah. And so then that can be a situation where like if we've introduced some side characters working for the Gale Corp who are still kicking around, that can very much be like we need we need to team up with these people and stop whatever's happening. Like we, th- this is the real like these these are just normal people living their lives. There is a real threat in Camelot that we have to go fight. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's when Jocelyn gets usurped or kicked out or something. Like, but basi- basically, Gale Corporation is kicked off for the final act, and they don't really have a chance to intervene, except for maybe a few people who've decided to side with Storybrooke. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have a big Game of Thrones special effects battle yeah. <laughs> for the finale. That does, <laughs> basically, it's the forces of Mordred and Morgana versus, uh, like, some, some of the knights. And the the magic users and warriors of Storybrooke and some of these uh, Gale Corp people who just brought in some anti-magic weapons. Yeah. Wilhelm throws himself in the middle of the fight between Morgana and Merlin. Mm-hmm. And he'll be like, the, the, they need the, the, something needs to absorb all their magic to stop them. And uh, I, I'll, I'll become that vessel and I'll be destroyed. But at least I'll be the only one destroyed. And I'll be like, okay, it's so sad that you're sacrificing yourself. And Wilhelm... Like, is actually, actually, I'm, when I absorb the power, now I have their power. Now I have the ultimate, the power of the ultimate sorcerer and the power of the original Chaos Witch, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe Chaos Witch is too, uh, scarlet-y. (laughs) (laughs) But I have the, I, I now have the combined powers of the two most powerful magic users, um, except maybe the author. And it could end with uh, Wilhelm declaring himself to be Rothbard, grabbing Henry, and he books it to who knows where. Okay, yeah. And that's that's the cliffhanger that we leave season five on. Yes. Is that uh, Henry has been taken, and Hades is uh, gearing up to mess around with the living. Yeah. He's going to make Storybrooke an offer they can't refuse, let's say. Who, Hades or Rothbard? Hades. Okay. And Rothbart's going to turn Henry into a bird. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of leaning into a bit of a Marlon Brando sort of thing, but like, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to turn him into a bird they can't refuse. <laughs> I mean, he acts like a mafioso when you think about like what he did to Theseus and his cousin that one time. Yeah, yeah, this is true. <laughs> We should cast someone who has, like, actual charisma to play Hades instead of Greg German, who yeah. is Greg, he's, he's man. He is a man. <laughs> this is most defining feature. <sighs> he's just be... this guy. <laughs> who is someone out of work but had previously been on Marvel? I, I almost went with Vincent D'Onofrio. He would be good. I was about to say Neil McDonough. Oh, yeah. Because he also, when he when he was playing Damien Dark in the Arrowverse, he also had very big Hades energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can be very charismatic when he wants to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. I think that fills out season five. Yeah. We, we managed to somehow fit Nightmare for Christmas in there, and you know what? They can come play around next season, too, since Jack is a Skellington man. Yes. <laughs> I was also thinking for Morgan Le Fay, how about Claudia Black? 
I have to look up who that is. Oh, she was like, she was in a whole bunch of stuff. She was uh, Vala in Stargate. And... I haven't seen a single thing this woman has been in. <laughs> she was on Farscape! I never watched Farscape, I never watched Stargate, I haven't played Mass Effect, I haven't played Uncharted, or any of the Gears of Wars. <laughs> I never watched the CW's Containment. You're missing out! <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, she she has a fantastic voice, too. She'd be okay, perfect, if, if yeah. I, I trust you, I'm just saying. <laughs> Go look her up. She's cool. Okay. Yeah, because in my mind, Persephone, if we have Persephone show up in the next season, she's Ava Green. Yes, that I can get down with. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, yeah, I think that's season five. Yeah. We did it. Woo! All right. So uh, now we are going to go on a quest for the Holy Friendship promo. (laughs) Hello! (laughs) My name is Christina. And my name is Emma. And welcome to Faithful! This is a podcast where we talk about faith and religion and spirituality, but in the context of our favorite popular media. And sometimes also whether or not it's actually effective. Listen, we try and be positive, but sometimes (laughs) stuff is just bad. But we love what we talk about most of the time, regardless. Like, we talked about Harry Potter. We talk about... The entire concept of faith within the Adventure Zone balance. <laughs> we talked about the Power Rangers comic, for God's sake. Honestly, just if, if you've heard of it, we're probably going to talk about it at some point. Check us out. We come out on the first and third Sunday of every month, just in time for church. We are on Twitter at FaithfulPods. That's with two L's and an S at the end. Keep, Keep the, the faith! faith. All right, Lindsay. Where can I will find you on the internet? I will be found on Twitter at lindsaym476. That's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to my, all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Notify I Beat You First, and they're pronounced Higginus, Ficginus, Zumbabazing. I want your attention, everything! You can also email us at notifiverbootyoufirst at gmail.com where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and your favorite unused MacGuffins. That's also where you can send us a friendship promo via an audio clip or a proof for us to read. Either way, we'll put in a free ad for your podcast, your YouTube, or even your DeviantArt. Not If I Reboot You First is a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can talk more about the show or others on the network via our Corner Podcast Discord. Our cover art, as always, is by Alex, and her work can be found on ptchew.com, and our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake. You can contact us to find out how to contact him if you can visit of his own for your own. This podcast was recorded on Treaty 4 Territory, the traditional lands of the Cree, Sotol, Assiniboine, and Métis. And last but not least, don't forget that you can buy this episode for yourself, not as an NFT, it is literally just your name on a spreadsheet, but for a $5 minimum donation to the North Central Family Center, link in the description, we will declare that you're the owner of this podcast episode, or any episode that you so desire. So, Tanner. So, Lindsay, next week is technically our anniversary <laughs> Q&A. Yay! So, yeah, I guess you're going to learn some more of our uh, personal secrets next week. But not if we reboot you first. Bye.